This is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Today is January 24th, 2023. My name is Braden Dennis, as always, joined by the wonderful and majestic Mr. Simon Belanger. Sir, everyone listening, welcome into the show. Have you? Can you see my horrendous mustache? Are you, can you see that, or is it too faint? It's too faint. Yeah, it's too faint. <laughs> Are you too? I hit puberty like it, like at like the age of like twenty six. So uh, I'm not surprised. You know, it's uh, it's January, not November, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm living my. Uh, I'm in this like surf town right now. And I'm living my like, don't wear shoes, don't get a haircut, don't shave, be a complete surfing uh, dirtbag. I'm living that that moment right now. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Okay. How's the girlfriend liking it? <laughs> <laughs> no comments yet so far, surprisingly. I think oh, okay. that that's how bad me growing facial hair is that she hasn't even really noticed. I think that that's really the takeaway. Good to know. Good to know. Well, you know, let's uh, get in the show and uh, lots of news, not too many earnings yet. I think it's going to be starting pretty much the rest of this week and then get right into it for what, uh, the next month or so? Yep, it is. Tomorrow is like ridiculous. The amount of companies reporting today at the close, there's quite a bit. So I think let's do if we can, if timing allows us to do maybe even a live reaction of Microsoft's quarter reporting at the close today. Um, tomorrow is nuts. The day after is nuts. And then, yeah, you got like a week and a half of just nonstop earnings palooza. And, and I like this time of year for earnings because most often you're looking at full year results as well. So that, that's always nice to kind of zoom out and get, uh, get big picture numbers. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll start off with some news like we mentioned. First one is the big macro that came out last week. So December 2022 Canadian CPI. So it came out at 6.3% year over year, which was a pretty significant change from November. I think it was in line with general expectations from economists. It also came in at negative 0.6% on a month over month basis. As a refresher, the headline number year-over-year year was 7.6% in July and then was between 7% and 6.8% from August to November. So you can definitely make a case that this is the first month where it really dipped on a year-to-year basis. Now, it's not all good news. I mean, 6.3% is still pretty high. That's the first thing. And we are still very far away from the 2% mid-range target from the Bank of Canada. And food remained elevated as well. So that's another piece of bad news at 10.1% year-over-year. And food has actually been over 10% on a year-over-year basis since September of 2022. And even before that, it was very close to 10%. Shelter came in at 7% year-over-year. And all categories came in higher year-over-year. However, I will finish with some good news here. All categories but food, shelter, services decline month over month. So personal care was actually the only category that was flat. So on a month over month basis, it's definitely trending better. 
Um, the other thing to keep in mind is the core CPI. So that's the metric that's used by the Bank of Canada. So there's three metrics that they look in terms of the core CPI. And that one has been leveling off. I, I wouldn't say there's a trend downwards. I added the data. So September, October, November, December. So it's been pretty stable and uh, not as downwards as uh uh, the main headline numbers so it remains to be seen where it's going to go I know a lot of people like to make predictions on what's going to happen with interest rates I saw some people on Twitter saying you know there's going to be a 25 basis point increase by the Bank of Canada and then we're done I don't make predictions like that because I don't even know that the Bank of Canada knows what they're going to be doing, uh, you know, a few meetings down the line. So I think it's just a wait and see, but something to keep an eye on because uh, they look at that core core number here. It's funny how we can look at numbers this elevated and think that they are month over month declines. Like it just it's kind of frame breaking seeing those kind of CPI numbers, but you know. To, I'll say air quotes here, improving situation. The food one is the is the killer, man. Like yeah. that's the one I think I noticed the most. I mean, well, everyone deals with this, but like I swear I'm leaving the grocery store, no matter where I am in the world, and I'm like, I got like nothing. And the bill is what I would expect for a haul. It, it feels like that every time I go to the grocery store. I'm sure you probably the same. Yeah, exactly. And you know what's fascinating is I sent out a tweet on uh, a couple of days ago just asking people what they've done to kind of lower their costs. Or even some people said they just increase their revenues, <laughs> increase their income, right? So that's the other thing. <laughs> Make more money, Make pal. more money, yeah. exactly. Uh, and a lot of people were saying they are changing their eating habits or buying habits in terms of food. A lot of people mentioned shopping more often at Costco. Um, I know it's anecdotal. It's not a huge sample, but that's that came up more than once. People cutting back on dining out. That came up pretty often and ordering food. So definitely things to, to keep an eye on because, you know, if you have the same or very similar disposable income, but your food cost is going up at some point, you do have to, to make some changes. For I, I saw your poll uh, or your, the question you posed on Twitter, and I liked it because I, I saw a lot of like very real and authentic answers in there which is why I love that platform so much. I think I replied, which is true, which is just when I'm out for dinner, I'm just not like buying booze as much. One, because it's so expensive. You have like inflation on that. And then you also have like tip inflation, which I've hinted at quite a bit. It just becomes really hard to justify, especially if you're in an expensive city like like TO. I mean, it, it's really <laughs> hard to justify and it stings when you when you tap that credit card at the end of the meal. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Uh, but enough about inflation. Uh, what's your next piece of news here? My piece of news is about WeCommerce and a company called Tiny. Uh, so for some context, Andrew Wilkinson and Charles Sparling are two guys from Victoria, Canada, and they're fascinating entrepreneurs. I've been following almost all of... Andrew Wilkinson's work for his company and, and media appearances he does because he's a cool guy and, and he's obviously an excellent entrepreneur and he also just has this like very calming energy and philosophy about him. Um, and the way he does business is just like really basic and simple and he, he really tries to do everything very simple and especially the transactions of the companies he buys 
that's what they say their edge is. It's like very simple terms. We'll buy it in like 30 days, no like nine month acquisition process. And so he buys and starts internet businesses. Um, if you're a designer and you're familiar with that world, uh, digital media design, you'll be familiar with a company called Dribble. It is like the social media, it is the de facto platform for sharing um, designs online. And it's, it's pretty cool. I think there's like 40 plus businesses in there. So they hold about 40 plus of them in this tiny and this holding company called Tiny. They spun off a bunch of companies that were related to the Shopify ecosystem. So they, they bought and started a bunch of companies that are inside of the Shopify ecosystem. Like, um, so let's say you wanted to start an e-commerce store and you wanted an out-of-the-box like design already built for you, like a Shopify theme or Shopify plugins. They own like a whole suite of them. They decided in 2019 to spin it off and list it public under WeCommerce, ticker We.V. Did you ever look at this name? No, I've never looked at it. It's like like less than 100 million in market cap now, but I, it did hit 1 billion in market cap post IPO on the TSX venture. So just doing that math in your head, let's just say it has not gone as, as expected. Uh, for for Andrew Wilkinson and Charles Sparling here. And now they're taking it back uh, under Tiny, the holding company. But the kicker is, and this news here is, they're taking it back. And during that process, they're taking the entire holding company public under the Tiny company. So in essence, what happened was they spun off an operating group under the Shopify ecosystem business, took it public, that didn't go so hot. So now they're taking it back off the public market and doing so, the whole holding company will be listing on the Toronto Stock Exchange. So I'm bringing it up because one, it's a big piece of news, but it's also an interesting stock idea moving forward because you have these excellent owner operators with significant insider ownership. This is not a typo. Andrew Wilkinson alone will own 71% of the public company, Tiny. Charles, another 10%. So 81% will be owned by the two founders. And other significant shareholders already include Bill Ackman and Howard Marks, which are you know household names for sure. So I thought it was an interesting piece of news. It involves this Canadian entrepreneurship story, the TSX Venture it not going well, and then them taking the whole thing public. That is not what I had on my bingo card based on everything I've heard Andrew talk about with with WeCommerce. So anyways, that's uh, one to look out at. It's The company will be called Tiny. No, interesting name. Definitely. I wasn't aware really of all of that, so I'll keep an eye on that. I mean, just looking at their IPO, I guess they timed it pretty well, probably to maximize the... Uh, you know, the IPO, but uh, timed it pretty badly in terms of uh, market afterwards. <laughs> I think that's probably what happened. Yeah, it's it's true. Like so many tech or tech related companies went public during this time period. And it looked great at the time. It was like the smartest move. And it only took like a year. Uh, in hindsight, it was like, oh boy, uh, the public markets are not what we had expected. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> 
Well, now I'll be, I mean, I feel like I should be called a Grim Reaper today. Like, I, I have some, <laughs> not the most positive segments, but uh, that's okay. You know, it is what it is. The news, uh, I don't make up the news. I just, uh, we just talk about them here. Now, I talked about tech layoffs. Uh, I think it was a week or two ago. I, I mean, obviously, it's all the big boy. I feel like time with a baby, kind of forget. But um, there's more tech layoffs that happen, obviously, headlining Google and Microsoft. They both announced last week that they would be laying off workers. It seems, again, it was a result of overhiring in the past couple of years. Google will be laying off 12,000 employees, which represents roughly 6% of their workforce. And then Microsoft will be laying off 10,000 employees, which represent roughly 5% of their employee base. And I did go back to that side that I had mentioned. So layoffs.fyi. And it's pretty interesting when we talked about it, it was just a few days into Q1. And now, I mean, the layoffs are really piling off for just what uh, I took the data here 22 days into Q1 of 2023. And we're getting close to what happened in Q4. We're probably roughly around like just shy of 400,000. Maybe we've hit it because I think there has been some more layoffs that were announced in the last couple of days uh, since I pulled that data. And what we had in Q4 of 2020 was about uh, 500,000, so half a million. So it's, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's not looking great. Sorry, not 500,000. Um, I miss, miss, Messed up the numbers here, so it was 80,000 in Q4 of 2022, and now we're almost hitting 60,000 in Q1. But it's still not looking great, and it seems the theme that's been reoccurring here is that a lot of tech companies just overhired during the pandemic. And I know it's easy to get numb because we obviously hear about these numbers, it seems like almost every day. But at the end of the day, I think we have to remember that these companies have to adjust as the landscape changes. And a lot of the smaller ones, because we see the headlines for these big mega mega cap tech companies, but a lot of the smaller companies, it's almost a kind of a... How to put this in terms of it's their survival, right? If they don't make these hard decisions, the full company could go under in the near, let's say, short to medium term. This is very confusing in many ways because you and I talked about in the third quarter, uh, Google hired 13,000 employees. And just a few months later, they're laying off 12,000. And so it seems to me that they're, they're either doing something that I don't know or they're really bad at forecasting and maybe just a little bit of both because it seems like every company was overhiring just like three months ago um, compared to now. And so it's also, there's a couple other factors at play here, right? It's the dominoes kind of all fall at once, whereas like one of the big major tech companies does a major layoff like this, and then they flow in. They flow in fast because no company wants to be the first one to do it because it's such a bad PR look, right? Like it never looks great, um, especially when you're talking about five figures of layoffs in basically one day, like one mass email. You log in and you're just not employed there anymore. Um, and it comes quick, it comes fast, It's and it's sad. But a lot of these jobs were 
like these people were just being hired with not much to do. Like a lot of these companies, like what are what are the hundreds of thousands of employees doing? Like how are they how are they hiring thirteen thousand employees in one quarter? Like how does that HR and that onboarding process look like? Um, if you look at that compared to Apple, Apple was basically the only big tech company that was hiring with some real common sense and they haven't had to do any layoffs. So, I mean, the whole thing is just a little bit confusing to me. Like as, as a, as a manager of a company and having to make a small HR decisions right now, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I don't know how this happens. Yeah, no, I mean, I do get it. I think it's probably hard to forecast. And there's also the economic cycle a little bit, right? So typically what you'll get is you'll, as the economy kind of starts slowing down before that inflation typically happens, not to the level that we've seen. That's not really normal compared to what we've been used to. So then companies, what are they're doing is usually they'll try to increase prices during this period and avoid laying off employees. And then as margins start contracting, they have to really, there's no more leeway to increase those prices and increase their revenues. So that's usually when they go into cost control. And I think the labor shortage probably, um, you know, traumatized some of these leaders because they probably figured, you know, we worked hard to get these new employees. Uh, It was so hard to hire. We had to provide these bonuses. If we end up laying off people too early, will we end up screwing ourselves, if you'd like, down the line because we were too easy to kind of pull the trigger? So I think what we're seeing right now is you probably have companies that were already seeing that they could have been doing layoffs maybe a year ago, six months, more than that. And they're doing it now after giving it a little bit of time. That's that's probably my best bet as well to to think what's happening. I mean, it's still a lot of people reaching almost, you know, 60,000 people for the not even the first month of Q1. Uh, hopefully it will slow down, but uh, it's not looking good, at least so far this year. I don't mean to make jokes no, of no, it exactly. in, a, in a obviously shitty situation, but have you seen the TikToks of, you know, tech workers will be like a day in the life at Google or a day in the life at Microsoft. And it's like, I started the day, me and my team, we got uh, breakfast and iced coffees at like the, the local, the cafeteria. And it's all yeah. paid for, right? At these tech companies, you don't have to, you don't have to pay a dollar. And then, then I hopped in a call and then we all went for drinks for lunch. And then after I went and got snacks and then me and my team did like a, a bonding exercise and then at the end of the day, we got more snacks and some more iced coffee. And they're like, you know, they're filming this whole thing and putting on TikTok. And I'm just like, oh, no. I see these. I'm like, layoffs are coming hard. Like, this is like how many, how many of these people are just doing absolutely nothing. And I'm sure the TikToks are exaggerated and they are doing real work in some capacity. But something has to give. At Alphabet alone, the average salary, sorry, the median salary is 350000 USD, and the average salary is higher, closer to five, half a million dollars in USD. Like, we're talking about a bloated workforce paid very well, which, which I'm, I'm, I'm happy that these people are making this much money. That's amazing. These high-skilled workers, a lot of them very skilled in tech. 
But like a lot of these companies just got way in and over their heads and trying to do a talent land grab, you know, be, you know, be the company that has the best talent, grab it right away, especially when we had labor shortages to just try to land, grab and expand on the talent pool. <laughs> and then now it is just going the other way so fast. It's, it's, it's wild to see. No, yeah, definitely. But, uh, Anyways, I think we we've uh, we've talked enough about layoffs here in the tech sector. I think you have another piece of news before we get to earnings. I have another quick segment here on Canadian entrepreneurs making big splashes. I, I like highlighting these stories because it's a reminder you can build some amazing businesses in this country, and it's also nice to take advantage of the currency arbitrage. You know, you run your business in CAD, you earn on the top line in USD. Uh, boom! It's a beautiful thing right there. You got margins right there. Um, from TechCrunch here, Tama Bravo, the private equity firm, announced it would spend 1.8 million Canadian dollars to acquire Magnet Forensics, Waterloo-based company used uh, by defense forces and businesses to investigate cybersecurity threats. Um, their main, like in police enforcement, is actually their biggest segment. Magnet Forensics will be purchased by a newly created corp controlled by Tama Bravo called Morpheus. Um, they're paying the shareholders of Magnet Forensics because it is a TSX-listed stock, a 15% premium over Thursday's close on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Uh, this is expected to close in the second quarter. And very similar business to Axon, uh, if you can, uh, on the software side, if you can kind of picture what they do. Interesting stock as well on the TSX. And it's a shame that I just getting a hold of it now with a big, a big TechCrunch article about them getting acquired. Uh, Jad Salibo, here, here is from their website, was working as a frontline police officer in Canada when he was diagnosed with cancer. After retreat, receiving treatment, Salibo was reassigned to digital forensics and quickly learned that the tools police agencies had at their disposal were insufficient to investigate cyber-enabled crimes. So very interesting and probably a business that is going to be in high demand because they're, like the, the police force is like the, the talent that they have and the, the tools that they have are not well-suited for dealing with cyber crime, especially when it's not like, you know, like uh, the government's not going to get involved in some of these cyber crimes, right? Like they're too small for that. Yeah. But they're still significant. Um, and so interesting, interesting business. Huge props to these these founders out of Waterloo, Ontario. You've built an awesome business. Congrats on being mega rich. Uh, that must be nice. The ticker was MAGT on, on the TSX Magnetic Forensics. Great growth story. Uh, if you get a chance, go look it up on, on Stratosphere, MAGT, 40% compound annual growth rate on revenue since being a public company and uh, done it profitably for years now. I was pretty surprised that they got it for only a 15% premium on the, on the listing. That's pretty uncommon for a growth stock. And I think that that's a, a sign of the times. Yeah, exactly. I think you're not getting 50% to 100% premium right now. Um, it's probably actually a pretty good premium, like you said, considering the times. And I wanted to double click. You mentioned Axon quickly. For those not familiar with it, Axon, they make uh, body cams and also Taser. They used to be called Taser. So they have a 
um, very sticky ecosystem, especially uh, their evidence.com site where police forces will have this, um, you know, footage that they'll get on those body cams that goes directly there and they use that. So it would be very difficult for police forces to actually switch from them. And uh, they're definitely the leader in this space. So just a quick, because you mentioned it, but I know some people may not be yeah. familiar with it because I think we talked about it. it's a stock I own, very small position, uh, but we talked talked about it maybe like the first year I think of the podcast yeah it's a great business um I I like it quite a bit too it's basically just forever lives on my watch list I, <laughs> I think that you owning it makes I mean it's a good it's a good business one you understand well and this space is a good space right it's like um not only are you owning a lot of the hardware in Axon's case, but you're owning the sticky software that is required to run some of the important pieces of like a police department, right? And there's no, there, there might be no business I like better than software that sells to government. Like I, I can't think of a <laughs> better business, honestly, in terms of stickiness and uh, especially in a space like, forensics or at least accountability in police enforcement like that's a trend that these organizations are spending more and more money on every single year so the macro picture is is good for that as well no exactly now we'll switch over like we mentioned to earnings i'm gonna talk about interactive broker uh, they released their full year's earning. It's a name we haven't really discussed. I know they, they are present in Canada. I think they have actually, I looked at them a while back. I think they have pretty good trading fees too, if I remember. Um, have you ever looked at them just as a platform? I have. Um, always left very impressed, um, especially on the FX fees. And I, I know what I what I've given interactive brokers is it's like, it's a good platform for anyone, basically, no matter where you are, yeah. like no matter what country you're in, like they, they serve it. Um, and it seems to be solid, not only from the product, but also on the fee side, no matter where you are. And I can appreciate that. Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to touch on them. And there's something actually that as I was going through the earnings that I found really interesting, and then I did a bit more research. Now, first, let's look at the revenues. They increased 13% to 3 billion. Commission revenue was down 2% to 1.32 billion. Net interest income went up 45% to 1.67 billion. For those of you who you know, don't fully understand what net interest income. It's because they do some loans, uh, for example, margin loaning. Um, so clearly with interest rates being higher, uh, that's increased uh, significantly here. Customer accounts increased 25% to 2.1 million. Customer equity decreased 18% to 307 billion. Daily average revenue trades, also called DART, decreased 22 Two percent and net income was up twelve point six percent to one point eight four billion. EPS was up sixteen percent. Now customer margin loans decreased twenty nine percent to thirty nine billion. And I wanted to double click on that because that makes a whole lot of sense, right? We were in definitely a risk on environment and. 
I mean, it's no surprise to me that there's probably a lot of people that got wrecked margin trading. And I found some interesting data from FINRA, which is the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority. It's a U.S. agency that is there to protect investors and safeguard capital markets. Uh, margin debt in trading accounts, according to their data, peaked at a whopping $936 billion in October 2021. It was actually a pretty much double from the lows of March 2020. It was up 95%, so almost a clean double. And it has been going down every single month since. But one, margin debt was sitting at $607 billion as of December 2022. And that's a 35% decline from the peak. So the customer margin loans that we just talked about for interactive brokers, pretty in line with that. Again, they are in several countries, and I believe FINRA really only tracks U.S. What tells me here is that there's probably a lot of people who were going long on margin and probably ended up selling either at a loss or getting margin calls. So I think that's just a good example of... You know, be careful with margin. It can be very attractive in a bull market, especially for a lot of people, because, you know, you see number go up. Why not, you know, maximize your returns with margin? But we've seen, you know, kind of the frothiness of the market. I mean, the the peak in margin was essentially just in line at with when the markets peak. So I thought it was interesting just to, to double click on that. I love when... There's a name here that pops up on earn, on the earnings thing, and we're like, you you get more interesting data out of it from looking at these companies. <laughs> like that's that's my favorite part about the the earnings show. I mean, what, so what do you think about the, their full year? Like what what, what is your kind of your takeaway here? No, I think they they definitely had a good year considering. I mean, it's kind of right hit. It's kind of good and bad at the same time. Overall, I think it was a very positive year. Yeah. I'm saying it's good and bad because clearly, you know, commission revenue, which is uh, the trades essentially that uh, people make on their platform, that was slightly down, which, you know, kind of goes in line with uh, when we looked at bank earnings, capital markets, things being, sli- you know, yeah. down. But then again, they also do loans and we're seeing that the net interest income went up 45%. So mm. it's actually a pretty interesting business when you think about it it because you know if interest rates are going up chances are your net interest income will be going up as well commission will be uh, down so it's kind of they're not so reliant on trading volumes no exactly it's kind of like if one goes up the other one is maybe you know goes down so one kind of offsets the other so it's definitely an interesting business not you know not a small business but not a mega cap i think it's around 30 something billion in terms of market cap i'm just impressed that Commission revenues were basically flat. Yeah, like, like down two percent. Um, commission revenues were, f- for all in- intensive purposes, mostly flat. Like that's impressive. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, on a customer basis, it's it's definitely not flat because customer accounts increased twenty five. Customers increased twenty five. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna go on a limb and so say th- that that speaks to the product, yeah. right? Like yeah, that exactly. is entirely product driven that customers, because we didn't get 25% increase in net new opening for brokerage accounts. That's people switching. From maybe um, Robinhood or something like from that. From Robinhood. Yeah. Yeah. I can so, see. So that that speaks to the product um, being superior to a lot of the other ones. And so, hey man, got to give it to them. That's That's pretty impressive in a year where 
you would think a business like this would get wrecked, like fundamentals wise. Yeah, no, exactly. So uh, no, it was an interesting, I uh, kind of took me more time than I thought looking at it. But uh, and then I started digging into the, the margin data as a whole. So uh, yeah, it's fun when you look at a business and then you just kind of go down into the rabbit hole a little bit. I deeply apologize because part of your segment, I was looking up Microsoft's results, which That's just okay. came out. Yeah, you want to go and do that? <laughs> so, well, let's get to it at the end. Uh, we'll do kind of a okay. live reaction because I have some some stuff on Netflix here. Um, I'm just happy that I own Microsoft. The stock is up 5% off or after hours. It is my most recent purchase. I finally, what was it, like last week? I think I texted you. I was like, I, 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 I bought a one and a half position. Yeah. So, yeah, I think so. And I texted you a few days after and I said, oh, your timing was good. <laughs> it's even better now. <laughs> timing? Yeah. It's even better now. Um, let's talk about Netflix. They reported late last week, but uh, it's one I promised that I would talk about here. I just want to start a quote um, because it, it sets the stage for the way this business is currently positioned. And the quote here is, 2022 was a tough year with a bumpy start, but a brighter finish. We believe we have a clear path to reaccelerate our revenue growth continuing to improve all aspects of Netflix, launching paid sharing and building our ads offering. As always, our North Star remains pleasing our members and building even greater profitability over time. Now, this quote says a lot, right? Because I have a, a, a graph here that you can see here on the doc, Simone, which is their revenue growth in a percentage. And it is a graph that starts in the top left and goes to the bottom right um you know sustaining in 2018 ish 40% top line revenue growth all the way into some quarters of negative and uh actually not quarters that would be subscriber ads but the top line is now just at a few percentage points coming in at 1.9% year over year growth on the top line for 2022 in their fourth quarter. So to reaccelerate their revenue growth is a priority and it certainly needs to be because this has gone from a explosive world-changing growth business to barely growing even at all. And that changes the landscape a lot. Uh, do you have any comments on that? Uh yeah, I mean uh it's yeah, it's definitely interesting the the growth, yeah, like we're seeing them forecasting more growth in 2023 compared to uh, Q4 2022 and what we had pro like, you know, was a downward spiral a little bit here. Um it's still a wait and see for me, but definitely what was nice is their free cash flow positive for this year. I think uh produced over a billion if I remember correctly. So I think, you know, there's a lot of there's some things to like, definitely. I listened to part of the call as I was preparing for the show, and uh, I, I know you're going to be talking about uh, Ted Sarandos and Greg Peters that yeah. are now co-CEOs, um, and Reed Hastings, uh, you know, leaving the, the CEO chair there. And they have their work cut out for them, but uh, hearing them talk, it definitely sounds like they have a plan going forward. So I've never been a huge fan of Netflix as an investment because I think it's just so capital intensive. But, you know, if they have uh, a couple years where they can pump some free cash flow, improve their margins, show that they they do have some 
really valuable franchises. I'm not saying I wouldn't change my mind, especially if they are resilient in the face of a lot of competition. I think that they've proved their resiliency. It's more so, can they prove that they can still grow? And I'm just not so sure of that. Um, and the data would suggest that <laughs> the data suggests not a positive outlook uh, for them to be able to to grow like they used to. And I'm not expecting, of course, for them to grow, you know, forty uh, percent CAGR all the time. Of course not. Like that's not, my head's not in the sand there. But to see such a deceleration so quick as soon as a bunch of new players really put their best foot forward in the streaming business it's it's it is thesis changing and i've never been a shareholder but i'm just i'm pretty bearish on the business i really am i'm pretty bearish on the business based on how cap intensive it is the amount of cash that they're pumping out versus how many subscribers they have now and how many real subscribers does this business look like at maturity i just don't know that it's that much more than it is today um, and so that's why I'm a little pessimistic, but, but who knows the, the valuation has certainly improved significantly at the expense of shareholders, uh, as of late. Now you hinted at this, the, the big piece here, I think the most important part of, of the call was that Reed Hastings is stepping down from CEO. This business has been defined by its founder, um, Reed Hastings, who has uh, has been such a beast, such a great success story as a as a founder and then operator of this, you know, mega cap business. Uh, Ted Sarandos and Greg Peters will be co CEOs in replace of Reed Hastings. Reed Hastings will become uh, chairman, executive chairman, and so still involved in the bo- uh, in the um, in the process. But he did say on the call, it's going to be like, a, you know, Jeff Bezos type situation. So I think I think he sees more yachts than uh, board meetings, because <laughs> that, that's that's certainly what, how Jeff Bezos has handled his his step down. So if he hinted at that, I see more yachts than board meetings. And and so he should. Uh, so he should. Good for him. And um, I don't have really much more to add here, but. I'm I'm personally not that optimistic that they really pull off an acceleration of revenue growth. I hope I'm wrong, um, but that's my current position. Yeah, I mean, I think it all depends on the ad supported. I think they've been warning more and more about, you know, cracking down on password sharing with people. Um, so I think... I don't know. I, I, for me, there's still a lot of uncertainty how that's going to move going forward. It could end up being good, could end up not being so good. Like I'll, you know, I'll talk about a personal experience. Is, um, you know, if I, let's say, you know, I would be sharing my password with other family members and stuff like that. I mean, for us, we like to do a rotation in terms of what we're watching more. If you're not sharing your password anymore and they don't allow you to do it, then 
at some point you may just say oh it's easier for me to cancel it for a month and then you know wait a few months until shows that i like actually come back on we've done that with several services and the only reason we haven't done it with netflix is we have some family members using it because we paid for the plan where it was more expensive so you could share it they actually had plans right. built like that yeah like like it's so easy to say uh in in, in a thesis for netflix that you know, you can unlock a bunch of subscriber growth by, you know, removing the password sharing and you, you could end up at backfiring and you have a bunch of net churn, right? Yeah, because exactly. in, in your situations, in exa- like those kind of investment thesis are never as black and white. It's the same, it's the same for Autodesk. Like they have like yeah. millions of users that use it on a non-compliant license, but they don't want to just say too bad. You don't have it anymore because there's a whole can of worms that open up uh, in that scenario. They'd rather try to wean them in slowly and it makes it easier once it's cloud-based. Um, but just going cold turkey right away, there's a reason they haven't done it um, because it's not easy to do. Yeah. And I mean, the reason why we have, I think we have the top tier subscription with Netflix is for that exact reason, because it allows you to watch like four people at the same time. That's the only reason. So I think we may, I don't know if we'll cancel it or whatnot when they, you know, really start cracking down because, you know, their policy has always been like they wanted to almost, you know, not do anything. So they get people hooked on it. Uh, that was always yeah. their policy. Now they're they're changing that a little bit. But maybe we also just get the ad supported version if we're, you know, just, you know, save a few bucks, something like that. So I think it'll <sighs> Those be ads will come on and you'll want to lose your mind. Well, go to the washroom. There you go. It's a washroom break. Pee break. Yeah, exactly. Dude, but I, I use ad blocker. Do you do you get ads on, on uh YouTube by chance? No, no, I use that as well. Yeah, okay, dude. Every time I'm on my phone I don't have ad blocker, I'm like people watch YouTube without this? Like that is a tragedy. <laughs> yeah, I mean I don't get that annoyed. I just wait the five seconds and skip ad, whatever it is. So um, sometimes they make I mean, you watch it. Yeah, no, it's true. But I, I personally, you know, if I can save 30, 40 bucks a month, uh, you know, with all my subscription, just because I'm checking out a few ads, I, I, I might do it. You know, it's, uh, it's an extra dinner out or something or half a dinner out. <laughs> half a dinner. Yeah, exactly. Depends, uh, depends on what you order. All right. Uh, let's get into this last Canadian grocer here and then we'll do a Microsoft live reaction. Okay, sounds good. So this one I wanted to do because grocers, obviously in Canada, I've been getting a lot of flack in the past year with food prices like we talked about with the CPI print being, you know, increasingly high. Metro released their Q1 2023 earnings. Sales were up 8.2% to 4.7 billion. Food, uh, same store sales up 7.5%. Pharmacy same store sales up 7.7%. For those of you who are surprised with the pharmacy element here, if you were not familiar with Metro, that's because Metro acquired the pharmacy chain Jean Coutu. Uh, it's a mainly a predominantly Quebec-based pharmacy, so that acquisition was in 2018. They also have a few stores in the Ottawa area, in the more kind of French-speaking regions of Ottawa and uh, neighboring cities. So just uh, for those who were wondering what the the whole pharmacy deal was, 
Earnings per share were up 14% to 97 cents. Earnings were up 11% to 231 million. And they increased their dividend by 10% to 30 cents, 30.325. So you got some fractional cents in, in there per share. And free cash flow was up 62% to 102 million. So overall, a pretty good quarter. I mean, I know we've seen politicians kind of go after, especially Metro, I feel like not as much. Loblaws has really been in the crosshair of uh, federal politicians, especially. I don't know if you've seen that. I have seen it. And I got to say, I, I, most of it is political theater. Yeah. No, I, no real plan. Yeah. Yeah. And when you look at the numbers, you know, for the most part, it's not like their margins are really increasing. Their um, margins have not expanded. No, exactly. So it's really, yeah, sales were up 8.2%, but their costs were pretty up high as well. So um, I've looked at the numbers. I think Loblaws, uh, when they released a few quarters, probably last year, a few quarters back, and I was kind of trying to gauge and I mean... It was, I couldn't really spot if they, I could see the price gouging. Obviously, you know, they, they don't have necessarily the best track record with the whole bread thing that happened some years ago, but I don't know. It's hard to, to look at the statements and see that. Um, I know a lot of people are trying to put place the blame on them, but just to keep things in context, I know it's easy to pick, cherry pick some numbers, but I would encourage people to actually dive into those financials and have a look uh, for themselves and make their own opinion on that. Metro has achieved as a public company, you go back to 1995, a compound annual growth rate on the stock of 16.63% over 28 years. My goodness. Uh, yeah, it's just like up in the right <laughs> up corner. Up in the right <laughs> corner, man. Canadian grocers have been up and to the right corner. My favorite one still is Loblaws, if I had to own one. Um, I just think it's the best of breed. But, man, that's more so anecdotally because I don't like shopping at Metro. Yeah. Like, I just don't personally. And if you shop at Metro, no offense. Um, but my goodness, these things have been no drama, steady compounders. Unbelievable. Yeah. And I think they have slightly different markets, right? I think Metro tends to have like smaller locations for the most part where Loblaws, you know, I know Loblaws has some smaller locations too, but they have these like super stores, right? That are massive where I can't recall any Metros being that huge. I think they probably have you know, slightly different approach when it comes to that. The Metro, uh, out in the burbs, they're they're full on big boy superstores, uh, supermarket stores. Are they? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But but you're right. I think they have, and no no pun intended, maybe, maybe pun intended, in the metro areas, kind of built those like mid sized ones that like be connected to yeah. like uh, apartment buildings, like high rises and stuff. And those crush it. Mm -hmm. Those crush it because they're just very conveniently located. Yeah, and they can pr probably... I know it tends to be a little more expensive too at Metro. So maybe, I mean, from personal experience, I don't know if that's all over the place. But they do have some cheaper brands like uh, say on the Quebec side, Food Basics also. So they do have some, some cheaper alternatives, uh, retail brands. I'm going to quickly gloss over Lockheed Martin because as, as you can see here, I wrote an extensive earnings summary. 
but uh, we're, we're, we're getting to time here. And uh, what I'll just say is basically everything was flat, but they keep distributing lots of cash to to shareholders, you know, generating over six billion in free cash flow per year definitely helps, uh, you know, spending close like upwards of eight billion on share repurchases in the year. Like this is a way to deploy cash to increase earnings per share, uh, no matter what the top line does. And this is the level of maturity this business has been at. They delivered 141 F-35s in the, in the year, which is insanely impressive. Uh, as a side note, did you? I don't know if you saw this, but Canada made an agreement with Lockheed Martin to buy 88 F-35 stealth fighter jets in a $14.2 billion U.S. deal. Um, so that backlog for F-35s continues to grow. The backlog for the business is uh, grew 11% year over year while you know the top line and, and everything else was flat. They, there's, there's more backlog to, to, to fill uh, for this company. And it's, it's insane because if you look, no U.S. president has ever decreased spending before on defense. So more of the same. Uh, that's, that's, my, that's my synopsis of LMT without getting into the weeds is more of the same. Yeah, and it's like it's sad to say, but what we're seeing happening in Russia and the geopolitical tensions, we're probably going to see countries that are friendly with the U.S. and that's important here. They're not they're not selling to China. Um, let's let's be honest here. So they're not. They have certain pre-approved countries that the U.S. will allow them to sell to. Yeah. It's probably, unfortunately, going to be a tailwind for them. Um, obviously, I. I say unfortunately because you want, you know, peace uh, in the world and you don't want, uh, you know, kind of countries kind of stocking up, expanding their military budgets. But a company like Lockheed Martin will definitely be the beneficiary of that. And for Canada, the F-35s, I mean, they've been in talks for, I think, over a decade for uh, purchasing those, I yep. think, uh, because they're still using these. That was a political point made by Trudeau was that, uh, you know, that conservative government, they're going to spend all your money on buying F-35s. This is what I mean about political theater. It's all a bunch of BS because they just bought 88 of or put it in order for 88 of them. Well, yeah, and I think the CF-18s were, if I remember correctly, because I used to work at the War Museum, I think they came into service in 1982. So they've been due to replace them for some time. So it's not, you know, we don't want to get political. We generally don't talk about that, but definitely, you know, there is a point to be made that you need to have at least a certain size military to defend your your national security. So I think it's just it was kind of due. I think that's just uh, clear and plain at that point. And you know, dude, I, I'm I'm a I'm like purely war is just the worst thing ever. Like that's of course that's my stance. But as an engineer, these F-35s, like I nerd out a bit. Like I, I, I don't like they're killing machines. Like let's not let's not kid ourselves. So I'm not into that. But my goodness, they are so cool. Like the 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 tech inside of an F-35 is absolutely mind bending. And so I, I nerd out a bit watching YouTube videos of F-35s. All right, let's uh, 
Let's do Microsoft here. Yeah. Do you have the at least the press release up? I don't. So you you go for it. <laughs> okay. I'll, pull it up. I'll start. Uh, revenue was fifty two point seven billion for the the second quarter. <laughs> These companies are so big that you hear a number like that and you're like, that must be full full year results. But no, this is uh their fiscal Q two. 2023. So they're on a bit of a different weird schedule there. It was only an increase of 2%. And just this is again, just me going off the cuff. What it looks like is more of the same where you have not huge top line growth because the personal computing segment is in like steady decline. But you have the cloud business just crushing it. Um, as per usual, intelligent cloud was up 18%, 24% in constant currency. The Azure business grew 31%. That's the pure play Azure cloud, 38% in constant currency. So they're achieving that high 30s, low 4 They're still maintaining that um, growth on the cloud business. And I think, you know, GCP, Azure, Amazon Web Services, they're all achieving that like really ridiculous sustained growth. And, you know, I think they can continue to persist on that really high growth. But the the soft spot here is that personal computing business down 19% on the top line. Windows OEM, uh, Xbox, yeah, not great. Um, direct revenue decreased 39%. I don't know what that is. So more of the same, good on the enterprise business, great on the cloud, and some soft weakness in the personal computing segment. Yeah, which is not surprising, right? Uh, the personal computing segment was really turbocharged by the pandemic. So everyone was buying a laptop to uh, work remotely. And I think that led into 2021. Their fiscal years are a bit weird uh, when it comes to Microsoft. But clearly 2020, 2021, a lot of people were still working remotely, needing those new computers. Uh, lots of lockdowns still happening in 2021 across the world. So if you're stuck at home, what are you going to do? You're going to play your Xbox. So I can see why that segment didn't do that well. I think it's just, uh, you know, it's just a cycle. It's just a, the economic environment. The times. Yeah, exactly. And one thing I think to double click on that you didn't touch on, but I think it explains pretty well why they did these layoffs that we talked at the beginning of the episode is, Revenues did increase, like you said, 2%, but operating income was down 8%. So I think that is right there. And net income was also down 12%. So mm. I think right there, what that tells you, revenues being up 2%, operating income down 8%, and net income down 12% is that our expenses grew faster than that revenue in terms of percentage. So when that happens, obviously, you know, you have a company as big as Microsoft and someone as savvy as Satya Nadella. Clearly, they're going to be looking at doing some cost containments. And unfortunately for the people affected, they decided that reducing their workforce was the, the way forward. Yep. Yeah, this touches back on, uh, you know, this operating income and, and, you know, how heavily affected it is by the workforce. Uh, you know, the huge layoffs from Google, huge layoffs from Microsoft. And there's going to be some pretty big impairment charges on the next few quarters because holy smokes, the like 
I do not mean to make any sort of positive light on people getting laid off, but these people are getting amazing packages, like all things equal. Like it's been great to work for big tech and it's pretty great if you if you are getting laid off that you're getting laid off from big tech because my goodness, the packages they're getting are amazing. Um, and, you know, these companies can afford it, so as they should. Yeah, and I was listening to um to another podcast. I think uh, do you know the All In podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the Chamath yeah. and those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was listening to them. They were actually talking about tech layoffs, and they said, you know, it's probably an opportunity for those who are entrepreneurial to actually team up in small groups of people and if they're getting severance uh, for example for several weeks or months in some cases you know it can really you know be a positive thing if you have that drive to create a potential new product and you can end up our new software right and end up you know becoming way ahead two three four years down the line so they were saying that you know you have to look at the positive side as well i mean i've some people will probably you know i know it's it's a hit to the ego if you're laid off it's not easy i've never been laid off myself but i've talked to people who have and it's never easy to take but at the same time if you can make a positive out of a negative situation and bet on yourself that's always something that can turn out to be positive and i encourage people if they were affected you know bet on yourself invest on yourself and um just Try to turn that into a positive uh, situation. The reason I went long Microsoft officially as of last week was just seeing firsthand how well they're tying in the AI to Azure and all of the developer ecosystem, not to mention they own GitHub. Like They went from owning basically no part of the developer ecosystem and under Satya Nadella being the dogs in the space within literally five years. Um, and that is like Satya, like, you know, you, you got to own companies with great management teams and, and Satya Nadella has that dog in him, dude. Like this guy literally took them from zero to a hundred and owning the developer ecosystem. And now with it all tying in together with AI, like GitHub Copilot is magical. Um, we pay for it. Um, open AI, they just invested $10 billion in open AI. Microsoft did. They already owned the sources I saw, 51% of OpenAI. Like everyone knows ChatGPT now. Um, another $10 billion in there. So they own, like at this point, a majority stake in OpenAI. So they're, um, they're putting their best foot forward on, on owning the next computing platform when it comes to machine learning. Yeah, and I mean, good on Satyan because he had big shoes to fill after uh, Balmer? After Steve Ballmer. Huh? <laughs> Ballmer, actually, you know oh, what? Ballmer kind of started the whole, like, we got to own the developer ecosystem. There's a famous uh, uh, press conference where he, he looks hammered, honestly. He goes, developers, developers, developers. And he's trying to get everyone to chant. Like, he's trying to, <laughs> he's trying to get everyone hyped up on the, the press conference. And it's just so cringe to watch, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen that gift. Developers, developer, developers. No, I'll have to look. I mean, I guess there is one good thing he did, uh, you know, aside from burning tens of billions of dollars. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, Steve Ballmer. Uh, he's too easy to pick on. I'm sure he's on his yacht they, somewhere, so I don't yeah, feel too bad for him. Yeah. He is stupid rich. Um, stupid rich. 
and just from owning and, and climbing the corporate ladder and owning a bunch of stop, stock of Microsoft, sure, sure is a good path to get there. All right. Uh, thanks for listening to the pod today, folks. We really appreciate you. We are here Mondays and Thursdays. We're going to do a little bit of earnings as well, just because there's so much uh, for the Monday release as well. Because why not? And there's lots to talk about here. So keep tuning in to the Canadian Investor Podcast. Mondays and Thursdays, if you have not left a review for the show, uh, we really appreciate that. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. You can hammer that five-star button on your Spotify. And uh, it helps us grow the show. So thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.